0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 471, and the quote of the day is, start being yourself if you want to make a name for yourself. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hello, 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 hello. What's happening? How are you? This is Nick and it's episode 471 of the podcast. Hope you're well. Hope all is cool with you. And man, last week I got a lot of response from the Harvey Mason interview. So if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend you check that out. Episode 470. You can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 470 or listen to it on any podcast app obviously uh definitely a good one and one that i've wanted to have for for a long time so uh check that out and also we are going to be doing more email content and daniel glass and i are working on a secret little project and if you're not on the mailing list you won't hear about it at well i'm lying you will hear about it, but the people on the mailing list will hear about it first. So if you want to get on the mailing list, just go to drummersresource.com. And also you will get a copy of my ebook, which is called Stick Control Variations. And it's 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your chops, your independence, all that stuff. And that is free if you sign up for the mailing list. So just go to drummersresource.com. You will automatically get the ebook sent to you as soon as you sign up. And that way you'll be kept up to date with all the stuff going on with that. And One quick note. As you know, this podcast is free. Why? Because we have great sponsors and Dream Symbols has been sponsoring this, this podcast for a very long time and I recommend you go check out their symbols because they make amazing sounding symbols. They're priced well below the competition. They're an amazing group of people over there who are working at Dream and yeah, they're just good people. They make great symbols and they are not going to break the banks. So you, you should check them out. Go to dreamsymbols.com and support the companies that support this podcast and keep it free, for you. So let's get into this conversation today. This is with Dax Nielsen and Dax is the drummer from Cheap Trick. Interesting story though, his dad is also the guitar player and one of the main songwriters for Cheap Trick as well. And uh, so we talk about how he got into the band and and, but before that, he talks a lot about wanting to create his own voice, wanting to create his own career. Never really used his dad's name to get gigs or anything like that, even when he was playing in, in his own solo projects and things like that. Or I should say his own original projects. And I commend him for that. I think that is a very easy thing to do to just drop your father's name who plays in a huge band, uh, to try to get gigs or to try to work your way up the ladder. But he didn't do it that way. He, He created his own career and slowly but surely got into Cheap Trick, but it's an interesting story even how that happened. So uh, there's just a lot of nuggets in here that I know that you're going to dig and you'll get a lot to take away from this. So without further ado, let's get into it with Dax Nielsen. Dax, what's happening, my man? Hey, good to be here. Dude. Just hanging out. Great to have you. You know, it's funny. Every single time there's, I've had to do anything, like scheduling with you or anything, like I always type in Dax Shepard, <laughs> like every single time. I've, oh, like, I have no connection to Dax Shepard at all. It, like I have no idea why, but every time I'm like Dax and I'm like Shep and I'm like, why do I keep doing that? It's like I have this mental block so uh Dax Shepard thanks for thanks for being here I appreciate
1: it <laughs> I'm glad I was available from uh taking off my movie scenes you know it's very kind of very kind of you to uh <laughs> you to know, it's funny that. actually this is years ago this is like he was just on punk or whatever show he was on um I ran into him in LA and I was like hey and he's his name is DAX Shepard I don't know what his middle name is but my name is Dax with two x's right and my middle name my given middle name is X. So i I'm X X Nielsen and I just walked up and I like had my ID in my hand I just showed him my ID and he goes oh great like and just turned around and like you just met another Dax and you didn't give a you don't I'm care <laughs> he didn't care at all and plus I had, tw- I had three times as many exes he has so maybe he was, he was maybe he was uh he felt threatened <laughs> well he's, it's funny because I've, I've met a few over the years now most of them are younger than me mm-hmm. but um you kind of like felt you were special for a long time so I think he probably was like I'm the only Dax I know and then another Dax walks in with Three times the X's, and he preferred. You know, he felt less of a man. I think. I think so. Well, he hasn't been on the <laughs> Drummers Resource podcast, and you
0: have. So no, that's one other we can put. Made it. Yeah, you can put one more notch in, in your belt, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's doing okay for himself. I think he's, he'll be fine. I think so. I think it'll be okay. Uh, <laughs> so you have, I, I, you have such an interesting story about how you ended up in Cheap Trick. which we're going to get to that. Um, but i mean i think some people know maybe some people don't that your dad <laughs> is in cheap trick and has been since the beginning um, yeah yeah so what what was it like growing up and i remember like reading some stories about you how it was like you know you're you're from rockford and like it's it's just normal for everyone to know that you guys live there, your dad lives there. And so he's not like, he doesn't feel like a rock star in his hometown, but how was it for you? Like, talk to me about your childhood growing up and, and like by all, for by all standards, like your dad's a rock star,
1: you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like you just said, like Rockford, I, I, I moved back here long story. I'll skip the whole thing, but I moved back here after years in Los Angeles. And um, it's just a blue, it's like, if I walked into a bar or a restaurant and, just got off tour playing for thousands of people and acted like I just got off tour playing for thousands of people, I'd probably get taken outside and Hey, you know, scuffled up a bit because it's, it's, it's a blue collar town. They used to be a giant, huge manufacturing town. We made screw like just metal parts for, Mm -hmm. for aerospace and for anything, you know, zippers and, you know, like everything else in the country, those jobs went to other countries, you know, like nobody, nobody does that kind of stuff. So now it's just, it's, it's basically a service industry town. Mm -hmm. Everybody's either a bartender or waiter, server, server, cook or you know bartender whatever um so no it, it's definitely like i grew up here and I, i'd i never thought of it that way because you know cheap tricks very blue collar we work hard every day and you know we play more than most young bands do you know like mm-hmm. i think we did 115 shows last year and that was probably a little on the low side you know wow it's a lot 115, yeah 115 shows plus some days off here and there and travel days so i was probably on the road or traveling You know, at least 180 to 200 days a year last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's been every year since I've been actually like two weeks from now will be nine years that I've been in the band. So, I mean, going on 900 to 1000 shows probably in the last decade, you know, it's nuts. So it's just one of those things, you know, growing up, I didn't really think of it as he was a rock star because one, he was gone. They, they played way more when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, they'd pro- they'd play 250 shows and then have days off and travel days. So they, you know, he was gone pretty much all the time. Right. Um, whether it was that they were at the peak again, you know, they had a, a big hit with the song called the flame, mm-hmm. which they were back playing in arenas. Or if it was tough times where they're, you know, they have to play a bunch of bar gigs or small clubs to, to make ends meet. So, Cheap tricks kind of gone up and down and up and down and up and down over the years, but they've remained consistently working and you know viable. So
0: it's such an amazing thing that you can you know you can be this huge band and then like you said you're playing in bars to make to make ends meet or small clubs and then you're like oh arenas again and you're yeah, just yeah. sort of back on top and
1: yeah it kind of keeps you somewhat humble and not thinking you're a rock star because tomorrow you might not be a rock star today you might be but you know right I think they've they've kept their heads about them in a, in such a good way of you know the old adage of you know make sure you're nice on the way up because you'll you'll see the same people on the way down you know it's like they've kind of seen everybody and they've gone up and down and up and down you know they're probably on their third or fourth wave of up right now they're whether it's i think a lot of the like the legacy classic rock acts that are still together are really having a resurgence because you know not one there's not many real rock bands out there and Mm -hmm. two it's mostly the original guys three you know like the people that are going to see them that were fans when they were young are now in their forties or fifties and have children that are into it. So they're now, you know, cheap trick selling four tickets. Cause a, f- a whole family will come now, you know, yeah, yeah. versus just one ticket before. So like, you know, l- legacy classic rock bands are really selling a lot of tickets right now. Cause mm-hmm. there's a, cause there's not, there's no competition really. You know, it's like, you know, there's a few rock bands out there and there's a couple that sound exactly like classic rock bands that we won't name names, but you know, <laughs> it's not the real thing. So, <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure you know who I'm talking. I'm like, about. should we talk about it? You know, I don't know enough about them. I've listened to it. I think they sound good. Um, just so ever, like we're talking about Greta von Fleet. I'm guessing, yeah, right, yeah. okay. I mean, it sounds just like Led Zeppelin, right? To you know, to the, to, the, to to most people, right? Um, I, you know, I'm not gonna. I, I I like the fact that people are playing rock and roll and they're young guys doing it right they're like I mean, super young right they're like I, I, 16 yeah. to 19 aren't they i think so yeah i don't like i said i don't want to speak out of shop i don't know enough about them and i haven't heard enough of their music but if you put it on like are you serious right now oh wow well, okay yeah you know <laughs> i like zeppelin too but not that much
0: yeah and i it's it's an interesting i just saw an article uh, about about the drummer it was like he's channeling john bonham and i was kind of thinking like yeah he really is because you know the band sounds, and that's the biggest the biggest criticism they get is like they sound exactly like Led Zeppelin. They're like pure, but then you know somebody brought up a good point it was
1: like, well, Led Zeppelin ripped everyone off too. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, they, they were know? ripping off all the blues guys, you right? Know? But they made it kind of their own thing. I think that nobody else sounded like Zeppelin. They were like taking old blues standards and passing them off as their own. Yeah, which in that I mean, up until shit two thousand. <laughs> you know the beastie boys sampled three cheap trick songs and never got you know they didn't have to pay or you know any puff daddies you know he's stealing all his stuff and it's like having mega hits but right people that wrote the music originally there was no standard yet of how they should be credited or paid you mm-hmm. know
0: mm-hmm. So. yeah and especially you know all of the uh You know, like all the Mississippi Delta players and all that kind of stuff, and all the blues stuff that got stolen. And like half the time, people don't even know who played on the record. And, you know, there's a lot of, I'm sure you've heard all the stuff with like, you know, Bernard Purdy and all these other people who, or, 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 um, you know, Jabo and and Mm -hmm. Clyde Stubblefield, all these guys like played on these records. And then they have no idea who they're recording for. Sometimes they got paid. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they said it was for you know some no-name artist when it was
1: actually for some huge artist, but they didn't want to pay. It's yeah. like it's a shame, man. i look at uh, Hal Blaine. I mean, he says he's pretty much dirt poor at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like he played on thousands of the most recorded and or, you know most celebrated songs in history, and there's you know he's making scale yeah. Union scale back in the '60s, yep. which is probably like. 50 bucks a day, You probably got paid $4 to record on your biggest favorite song. You know,
0: I also think he had three divorces.
1: Well, yeah, there's the, whole cause, cause
0: there was a point where he, <laughs> from what I heard, I remember listening to an interview with him. There was a point where he had like a yacht and a Rolls
1: Royce. Yeah. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been a bit <laughs> smarter with his money, but at the same time, the artists, you know, the songs that he played on, you know, it's goes on today. Nobody gets paid with they I mean, look at streaming now. It's just a total nightmare. Yeah. So yeah, how do how do you one million streams and you get five dollars or something like that. your song gets played a million times you yeah get five dollars minus tax it's insane and just so every like just so we're clear I'm not you
0: know I think Hal Blaine should still be driving a Rolls Royce and you know oh yeah for what for what he has contributed to this to to you know everyone's musical oh, he's the soundtrack greatest.
1: he is it's unbelievable I mean him or like Gadsden I mm-hmm. mean. They, he's playing on more albums than you've ever listened to in your life. You know, it's yeah. like, and he's still playing on records. He's still, He played on Beck's last album. Yeah. Man, you know, he's, it's just, he's the, he's the greatest too. You know, I think from what I heard, he still lives in the same house he lived in, in the seventies, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in Compton or somewhere like that. So I think he's pretty smart with his, yeah, it just their keeps, keeps it low key and <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what you have to do.
0: I mean, but like yeah. So what's the answer now though? Is it is it touring? Like it has to be, right?
1: Uh, for, fortunately for me, it's touring cuz you know I've I've pretty much I've done dozens of albums, but I've always just kind of been a live guy and you know Cheap Trick as well, like they've never stopped touring. So a lot of the their contemporaries that are now not getting royalty checks like they used to they mm-hmm. they've, they've got to learn how to go put on a show live and how to tour and you know, they've been sitting at home just enjoying life. And it's like, oh, God. Like, I think Steely Dan said they had to go back on the road recently. Yeah. Because, you know, because <laughs> the, the the money wasn't coming in the mailbox like it used to. Yeah, so I was I think, just going to yeah. say
0: Steely Dan was, like, notoriously a studio band. And, yeah. And I think a lot of those guys, the genius part of, of the record industry was when every they were putting out tapes and then everything switched to to CDs. Mm-hmm. And everyone resold their entire catalog again. So records oh, that yeah. sold 20 million sold
1: 40. Yeah. Because they well, were, that's kind everyone, of happening with vinyl now uh, yeah. to a certain extent. You know, it's like, good. People are actually paying from a product. I know. But,
0: I, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I'm guilty of it too. Like, I listen to, I use Spotify.
1: Yeah. You know? I Yeah, I, I tried to for the longest time. And now I've got, I'm married and kids. It's like, just, <laughs> I can't buy every single album that we want to listen to, you know? Right right so so but yeah you you spot actually i've been been on the grammy board in uh the chicago chapter for the last six or seven years and i've been to dc probably three or four times lobbying Mm -hmm. for digital rights for artists and you know the the digital format has not been changed since the 70s before there was even internet or computers it's like we're trying to, you know, trying our best to get a fair wage and a fair pay for all this stuff. It's like here, seven dollars a month, you can listen to anything you want as much as you want. It's like, right? That's not enough to split between all the songwriters that you're listening to, and and you know, I, and it's just, you know, it's just I one agree. of those, you know.
0: So let me ask you this because this is this is something I don't know the answer to, and it's probably a stupid question, but if everyone complains about the streaming services and how much they're paying. Why don't people just not have the music on the streaming services because they're buying because they're buying the licenses from from the record labels?
1: Right? Yeah, I mean well, kind of, but I mean, theoretically you're selling it, you're you're people are hearing your music so that you can sell more in the future or they'll come see you play live. I mean, Cheap Tricks put out three albums in the last two years. Like <laughs> we're not gonna make any money off of it, that's for sure. But you know, we have songs that we wanna record and we enjoy recording and the fans wanna hear new music. And it's like, well, let's go do it. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. we can just recoup the money we spent, and then we can go play these songs. That way, our set's a little different than last year. You know, just that's our logic. I mean, I, mean, I don't really know for young artists what what they're thinking. I, maybe they don't know the difference. Probably, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that's they true. never they never made music and sold twenty million copies and actually had money in the bank. <laughs> but it's so. like,
0: hey, uh, you know, Taylor Swift comes
1: out with a new record. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you mm-hmm. want to
0: hear it? Then it's twelve ninety nine,
1: and you can buy. Yeah, it. she has the power. But right. she's an established artist and one of the biggest artists. And she can, you know, the Beatles weren't on Apple uh, iTunes for years and years and years. Yeah, I remember. They, they they negotiated some kind of deal for themselves. Like, if you want our music, like, you're going to pay us the right amount. Right. You know, because we're not going <laughs> to bow down to something that's been around, you know, 40 years less than we have. And we're the biggest band ever. You know, Yep. Yep. you can say that kind of stuff. And I I, I went to go search for somebody. I think Bob Seger. I wanted to listen to Bob Seger there. And he wasn't on iTunes. Hmm. I was like, oh. He was on like a few compilations, but his actual albums, I couldn't find. They're not on there. Maybe, maybe that's changed since, but I mean, he he's kind of given them the finger too, you know? Yeah.
0: And I just, it's, I, it's I feel tough. like it's a, I guess it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a wishful thinking sort of utopian way of thinking, but I'm like, why can't, you know, if everyone just says no, we're not going to be on Spotify.
1: Yeah. Well. Or we're not gonna be on iTunes or we're not gonna you'd be here. the you you be the first one to do it and see if anybody follows. It's you know, I I think people are scared. Look at I mean, as much as it was silly, like look at Metallica, they stood up to Napster and they like they got backlash for it. Yeah. You know? People hated Lars because he actually went to court and said, you know, this is highway robbery and everybody oh look at this millionaire going out there going to court complaining about money. It's like, well, mm-hmm. no, he was actually trying to do it for the common good. Right. But he got in so much trouble for it because he looked like, you know, Rich some guy. money hungry, yeah, yeah, totally. And It's like no, and you know, fifteen years later, he looks. Hey, thanks a lot for trying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I get it's an interesting thing too because there's, there's, at some point, art just became free. It became a commodity. Yeah, and and not to be like oh you know oh bah humbug about it, but it's it's just an interesting thing that that no one wants to pay for anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, And there has to be a way to figure that out because Spotify is making gajillions of dollars. The record labels are still making more money than they've ever made before. Yep. And the trickle down, you know, what what is it? Reaganomics, you know, like the trickle down effect is not happening. It's not getting to the artists. So we do have to fight for that. I don't and I don't have the answers, uh, you know, and and if someone did, I think that they would, you know, it would have already come out because no one seems to have the answers or no one wants to. No one wants to (laughs) admit
1: what the answer is. I mean, food isn't free, and you know, sports aren't free. But why should music be free? It's, it right. feeds your soul just the same amount, I mean, if not more. I mean, I think arts in general have, you know, schools have been getting rid of the arts, and you know, they're not getting rid of sports, that's for sure. But, right, um, right. you know, there's collective bargaining in sports. It, it's silly. I mean, I mean, you can't really compare sports and music because in sports you can sign a ten-year, you know, five-year contract for a certain amount of money. Like, <laughs> hey, I'll go play drums for five years for three million dollars how about that i'll sign it on the you know for this for this band it's like right th- that would kind of that would that would lessen music because it, it's an art it's it, it's you know it's like kind of like the american idol thing like here you 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 audition on tv for us as entertainment and you'll, you'll be signed to our contract and you know we'll pay you this that, that's how it works that kind of from what i've been told mm-hmm. you know like kelly clarkson or whatever she still probably has to pay simon some money or for percentage or, or American Idol. Like, Oh, I'm sure they're you're their property forever. So it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like a farm team sports thing and it's, it, and it's, it feels wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, there's really no way to, you know, I play on team RCA or whatever it would be like, okay, they do kind of give you a, maybe an advance, but nobody pays you like a salary to go out and perform. You right. know, that would be a whole, it, it would feel wrong and feel weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: I the the interesting I mean, the concept of the, like the collective bargaining agreement I always thought was interesting. So like for people listening like if you see like the SEC or the Big 10 or the Pac whatever, Pac Pac 12 I think it is. Yeah, I think so. But they're all they're all collective bargaining agreements for broadcasting. So they go out and they they bring all these teams in and then they all benefit from the television rights.
2: Right. So right. that's
0: how the that's why there are those those different, uh, I guess they're called divisions or whatever um, mm-hmm. uh, leagues and stuff. That's how because that's how they make the most money because they say we'll put all of these teams on this on this television ch- or on this channel on ESPN or or CBS or something like that. And right. I always thought about like why is there why is there no real wage scale for touring drummers? Like you and I were talking about it off air. Like there's guys who go out and play in stadiums in front of you know 20 30 40 50 thousand plus people and they're getting paid like a couple hundred bucks a night
1: a day rate yeah you yeah know, like two three hundred bucks yeah we're talking especially in country you know the country guys they don't get paid they leave nashville on wednesday night or thursday night on a bus and drive for 12 hours to you know north dakota or maybe not that far but mm-hmm. and you know they don't get paid for that night they get paid say they played thursday and saturday but had friday off they'd only get paid for thursday and saturday and then they gotta drive all the way back to nashville meanwhile their boss is you know flying his private jet you know they're the big name country star who's worth 75 million dollars you know he's paying his guys basically nothing but right we were kind of saying off off air like nashville's got so many great players that if somebody stood up and said this is this is BS. I, I won't work for that. And then step on over and here's the next guy that gladly will play for a, a you know a big country artist. So yeah, I think it's, 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 I think it's the same, same kind of thing with streaming or, or like the collective bargaining, like we were saying, who's going to, who's the first to say it and who's the first to step down because their career might end mm-hmm. by taking the sword, but it might help other people. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, the rock world is different. Rock world pays a weekly rate, you know, most everybody. So that's, mm-hmm that's a beautiful thing because why you know, do you true, think if, the difference why do you think it's the difference with that uh, you know I don't I think it's I think it's because that you know the Nashville scene there's a studio scene there so I think they say you know you get home Sunday you should be able to get studio work Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday so you know if you're home why should I be paying you because it's right. not that's not the industry norm there yeah. are a few artists but I mean even for travel they don't get paid though yeah I don't know I don't know I, I don't know I think it's just the way it's always been and you know, once again it's wild. drummers need musicians need to stand up as a group and say this is we des- we deserve more. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: once again, <laughs> who's gonna say that and then the artist might just go, cool, I'll get somebody that's willing to, you know. You know, the, the interesting thing that I've always
0: noticed, and maybe maybe this isn't always the case, but it always seems like the case for me that every artist that tours out of Nashville is on a bus. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what level, I'm like, how are these people? Like they're going out opening for the opening act, and they're in a bus.
1: Yeah, well, it's probably label money or or but, just or just silliness.
0: But like, <laughs> I, you know, I never got a bus when we were going out and opening for an opening act.
1: No, you know what no. I mean. They were like, "You're lucky you have tires on your on your yeah, van." I was I was in the same crappy blue van, <laughs> you know, Ford van. <laughs> yeah. We used to actually we had a, a schedule written. There was I was in a band. There's four of us, and we had a one roadie i guess you would say So it's five of us total and we had it written down on the dashboard like the best way for nobody to kill themselves and nobody to get pissed off it was just do a two-hour shift driving do a two-hour shift sitting shotgun and then you can sleep for six hours and right. we would just go rotations and we would drive you know chicago to los angeles straight 35 hours whatever it is and you know just because yeah. we couldn't afford hotels so we'd leave the last second mm-hmm. you know yep. you're eating you know you're drinking whatever you know bottled water if you can afford it at the time you know yeah nobody's giving us any money and we go play for nothing hopefully the club fed us or else we go split a bean burrito from taco bell you know <laughs> yeah. it's the way it was that's i it, and you enjoyed it you know mm-hmm. eventually it got old when i was like 25 but yeah for a while it's fun. To, it's fun yeah it's, if you like the game if you're in a band you actually feel like you're a team and you're out there to make it you know it was yeah. it was I wouldn't trade it. Definitely. I, I feel the same
0: way. There's something to be said about that. And like, and you yeah. know, if you, if you're in a band that you love, it's just like, you're basically pounding around the country with your buddies and it's, it's a great yeah. time. You have memories and all that. And you can never put a, a price tag on that. But I, but I look at like, you know, like Joe and the dangle who's or whatever. And they're <laughs> like, I'm like, these guys are out there, but like a crew and a bus and everything. Yeah. yeah it's no, like, it's, it's it just crazy. It blows my, it blows my mind. I'm like, I don't understand how they're they're recouping here. Obviously, I'm not in the I'm not in the country world, but it's just it's amazing to me that you know yeah. that they
1: do that. Well, I mean, a lot of country artists as well have you know a fiddle player and a lap steel, or maybe there's six, seven guys in the band, so maybe it's just cheaper than you know two vans for the artist or yeah. or, or whatever. I don't I don't know <laughs> or plane tickets somewhere. Just true. hire two drivers and drive overnight. You know? Yeah, true, true, true. So do you think that there
0: is, do you think that there is something that can, that can change with, with live playing with people's salaries? And I mean, do you think that there's a way to like create some sort of, I mean, we have the union, but like it doesn't cover live.
1: No, I mean the union really, it covers people that do television shows as far as I can tell, or maybe, you know, um, classical stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, i I've. I just paid in union dues. I just, I just did Seth Meyers' show. I did for a week. I was the right. house drummer on that, and you know, I got my check, and, and sure enough, I got a union bill. I'm like, yeah. oh great, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. paying into a, the New York Union that I, you know, didn't ha- I didn't have any interaction with, or I'm not a I don't I'm not a resident. I'm not looking for gigs. Right, but it's right. it's the way it is. You know, hopefully that, that you know the union helps you out in when you need to find you know get paid or mm-hmm. get treated properly. So. And you don't get royalties for that because you don't you you didn't speak, right? I uh, I don't know how that works as far as, the way that that band particularly we wrote the music every day we didn't do covers the mm. the eight G band you go in at like two o'clock and you have a rehearsal for a half hour to an hour and come up with just four kind of musical song you know two minute two minute bits and they they actually they they split it with everybody it's like I you know I don't know how much it'll ever come out to be but oh, so you cool know though. they're not they're not yeah they're not licensing. Beatles songs, or you know, Stones, or whatever it would be. They're actually right. doing covers, so it was really cool. That that was really special. What they're doing over there is like just a different, quote unquote, famous drummer. You know, fills in every week that they need one. It's, yeah, I
0: lo- it's such a. I had Eric on uh, a while back to oh, talk about. Great. It's such a cool. Yeah. It's such a cool concept, just because of the idea of like how how late night always sort of revolved around the drummer. Yeah, and now yeah. this is like a new sort of rite of passage for drummers to go and play on the show and, and you know, and it gives all of these people a bunch of opportunities to come in and say it. It's cool. I think it's a really cool thing.
1: Yeah. I mean like four or five of my good buddies, including myself, like have just done it in the last couple of months. We're all like, you know, Todd Zuckerman called me and he's like, Hey, you just did this. You know what? Give me some notes. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> my buddy, Charlie Hall from the war on drugs did it. And I called him and you know, and then my buddy Wolf from mm-hmm. New York city, he did it before me and he, I called him. And so like, it's kind of a brotherhood, and you know, hey, what what advice do you have? That kind of thing, and so like, yep, we're all calling each other, hey, congrats, you know,
0: how cool was that?
1: You know? Yeah, I was actually I was at
0: the uh, the tape one of the tapings that Wolf
1: did, which was cool. Yeah, yeah. he's so great, such a such a great player, man. He's so, I mean, the well, nicest dude in the world too, but great guy. I mean, I stalked him online just like because I'm I'm trying to learn electronics, you know, programming, and all that stuff because I've I've never thought about it before. Like, I play in a rock band. Why would I ever need to use a computer you know like, right but now it's like he's one of the greatest drummers out there but he makes his living basically on a computer programming drums you know it's mm-hmm. like he could play this he could nail it in probably two takes in 10 minutes but it you know he's it, making a living and it's pretty, a totally pretty, different you know, it's a totally different it, thing yeah that, it's just uh, such a cool thing and he, he he took my phone call you know i think i stalked him on instagram he's like hey here's my number give me a call Right. and like we we've, we've been buddies ever since. Nice. It's just so cool to see a guy like that, you know. Yeah, for
0: sure. And I I think like uh if especially if you're going to do a bunch of studio work, like I you and i had mentioned Dylan Wissing, uh I think we were mm-hmm. off air when yeah. we were talking about that. Uh, yeah. but he and I have talked about it and I was like, "Dude, you like you got to be doing you got to be doing some electronic stuff, you know, like are, you figuring out like sequencing and and programming and all this other stuff because he's the same way. He's he's kind of like you where he's like, man, I just I play vintage drums and make vi- or make vintage yeah. drum tracks, which is amazing. Like he makes he like recreates these sounds from from uh you know that sound like they're from the '60s or something like that. But he's right. using yeah. all current equipment or whatever. And but the electronic side of it, I think that could open up a lot more just a lot more uh a lot more doors
1: and things like that so yeah i mean i think you have to keep up with the times i remember geez, this has got to be 98 99 a modern drummer and it was kenny arnoff on the cover and i was i read it and he was talking about how he was learning how to it, you know incorporate electronics into his drum kit cuz eventually that he, that's probably going to go that way and i was like oh man that's ridiculous <laughs> you know here i'm 20 years later like why didn't i start learning that day <laughs> You're oh. like Kenny Arnoff has no idea yeah, what he's doing. He, uh, he's old. Yeah, <laughs> 25 years ago, he's still right. working his ass off. Right, right. God bless him.
0: <laughs> so what? So I like we'll bounce around a little bit, and we we were talking about like you growing up and all that stuff. We don't got to get too deep into that, but I'm I'm interested to hear like what was what was your psyche and, and like what were you thinking in terms of of your career and practice and all those sorts of things Were you like, you wanted to follow in your father's footsteps or was it just something that like music, like for me, like I grew up in the restaurant business, right? So like Mm -hmm. just being in a restaurant to me is just natural. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And I did that for years. Right. So I think about it, like I'm sure it's the same with you. You're like, Oh, I just, you just kind of grew up in the music business. So Did you,
1: did you think that you were going to go into that field or were you thinking about going somewhere else? You know, I didn't really, it wasn't much forethought. It was, you know, I took piano lessons. My parents put me in piano lessons when I was in kindergarten and I took them through high school, like until I graduated. So I took 12 years of piano. Wow. Um, And through learning piano, I picked up a guitar and taught myself that. I I started out playing with the, with the guitar flat on my lap and kind of played it like a piano, you know, put my (laughs) fingers down on the Uh fretboard and kind of plucked away and eventually put it the right way and but i taught myself guitar and and same with drums There was just always a drum set in the house and it was i think what happened was i've got my dad who plays guitar and then my older brother miles plays guitar and i was always just a shy kid and like i didn't want to be the guy up front jumping around you know Mm -hmm. i'd rather be like nico mcbrain just put a bunch of cymbals (laughs) and toms in front of me and you can't see me up there and i'll just have a good time playing doing what i love so i think i'm Kind of on accident, I, I became a drummer, you know, first and foremost, whereas, you know, I'm actually, I wouldn't say classically trained, but, you know, I've hundreds and hundreds of piano lessons, right. and I've taken pro- I've probably taken 10 drum lessons in my life. Just kind of, I loved putting on my headphones and just getting down in the basement and just playing along with my favorite albums at the time, and trying to learn those drum parts and those fills and trying to, you know, make it sound like it sounded in my ears, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't because I wanted to get better. It was because I loved it. You know, I just loved playing along with those albums, just pretending like, and, you know, like I, I, going back to the blue collar thing, like, I don't think I ever thought about a rock star. It was just, you know, oh, that's my dad. He plays in a band. You know, right. I, I don't know any different. It wasn't like, oh, my dad used to be an accountant, but now he's a, now he travels the world playing music. <laughs> for people. It was like, right. it's just all I ever knew. And all, you know, all the people that come over to the house were, you know, Motley Crue after they played the local arena, <clears throat> come over to the house and drink beer all night. And it's like, oh, that's just my dad's buddies. You know, they all right. look like that. It wasn't, I don't think it was ever a thing of like putting those people above anybody else, you know? Right. It was just. Were there
0: ever nights where like, some, just like, some, I mean, Motley Crue is famous, like, but just like somebody yeah.
1: ridiculously famous that just like rolls into your house and you're like, holy shit, well, that's. Yeah, I mean, pretty much all like that kind of thing. Guns N' Roses came over. My dad punched Slash one night. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't Axel. They How old were you? Uh, oh, this would have been like, I would have been eight or nine. But probably I mean, like, eight, but you were like, you knew who Guns N' Roses were. It, yeah. I mean, this that, is like, this is before they were big. This is the appetite okay. tour. So, okay. but you know, they played the local theater here probably 2000 seats. So I mean, they were big, but they weren't, they weren't, Guns they weren't like, Roses. they weren't arena rock yet. Right. right. But you know, they're on their way. But right. I mean, you look at those guys, you go, oh, there's somebody, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, those are rock stars right there but yeah th- th- that was in the heyday of everybody partying i think sure maybe a few too many i think slash tried to ta- tra- trade hats with rick and i think rick socked him in the face <laughs> so <laughs> you know just that kind of stuff but i mean you gotta remember i'm eight so i'm probably third grade or whatever that you know so i'm i'm not downstairs i was like maybe at the top of the stairs peeking down going what are those guys doing right right i've never heard that word before <laughs> you know that, that kind of stuff those girls are really nice to everybody you know that kind of stuff <laughs> So. Those girls are really nice to. <laughs> no, but I mean, later on in life, you know, my teens and early twenties—that's when I started like to realize that, you know, in in 1998, Pearl Jam opened up for Cheap Trick in Seattle, in at the you know at the club, right? And put the Pumpkins opened up for Cheap Trick at the Metro in mm-hmm. Chicago, like, and this is when these are the biggest bands in the world. I mean, Pearl Jam still kind of is, but right, you know, these bands. That's when I was like, oh, my favorite bands think that their favorite band is. My dad's band. It's whoa! This is crazy, you know. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. So that's I, it. It was later in life, and I started to realize the the validity of what my dad did or does, you know. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like you
0: you really like. Well, actually, let me, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So let me ask you, did you feel like you
1: wanted to go out and sort of make a name for yourself?
2: Yeah. yeah. You didn't want to like trade on. That's the question
1: you asked me 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Uh, My brother and I got in a band in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's five years older than me. So I was 17. He was probably 22 or something like that. And we avoided name dropping at all costs, which Mm -hmm. probably hurt us. My dad was always like, just use my name. And if you suck, then you won't get any further. But if you guys are good. So use my name to get in the door, and we always we didn't. We tried to grassroots it, you know, which probably wasted not wasted because it was practice and it was playing, but we probably could have gotten in front of more people mm-hmm. or gotten, you know, had a few managers answer our phone calls if we had tried to do the sons of Rick Nielsen, but which we, we just didn't want to. It was one right. of those things. Like, yeah, I, we did. We wanted to make it. We made three or four albums and a couple of EPs and probably played, pff, Jesus, you know, 150 shows, 200 shows a year in right. a van just playing anywhere for 200 bucks and just paying the dues i think and mm-hmm. you know that was the last time that i've been in a band um my own thing my own creation right um so we we did like seven years and i just finally said you know i'm at the time 24 and i was like i'm not done so i'm i'm gonna move to la
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's what i did and i just said i'm gonna go out there and just maybe get in a band but for the most part i'm just gonna go try to get hired and just play for people because. You know, it's the, my brother's still in a band and he's still, he's got an amazing band. He's great songs, great everything. The band is great. Everybody I ever talked to goes, oh my God, the band is awesome. But it's like, he's putting all of his energy and love into it. And it's like waiting for that big break still, you know? And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's gotta be hard. Whereas, you know, what I'm doing is it's, it's less heart. I mean, it's not heartfelt. It's not the right word, but it's, it's less pressure on me to be successful. Cause yeah you know, I'll work for whoever is needing a drummer at the time, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll get all the spoils, but you know, I'm playing drums for a living, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing something I hate, you know, it's, it's, so yeah, I moved out to LA and, uh, my friend from Ludwig drums got me a job right away at a place called center staging. It's a rehearsal spot, (laughs) kind of like SIR. I was literally just there last night. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i was i worked in the drum department uh, drum department polishing poles and we joke around like just put, you know getting fingerprints off cymbal stands for eight hours a day or just changing other people's heads setting up drums for other people and kind of networking but not really because you know most artists don't come in and look at the guy in the drum department as uh a peer. you know what i mean mm. like you put my drums together and i'm gonna go play for for whoever you know yep but um i did that because he said you know you're not going to get a gig right away and you know you might but most likely it's going to be six seven months of you trying to just play anywhere for anybody which is what happened and eventually i got um a friend of mine dusty watson who had been the drummer for dick dale for years and years dick dale's the king of the surf guitar oh yeah from you know he's still out there crazily but you know he's he was big before the beatles and he invented him and leo fender invented the reverb tank and Mm-hmm. The whole surf sound came from Dick Dale. You, anybody listening would know his song Miserloo, from the opening of *Pulp Fiction*. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, Dusty. How How's got that kicked. go again? Yeah, I did it once did it poorly. Um, you know, we're just gonna take that and just like loop it and loop it, loop it. <laughs> it was, He was funny because he's very martial arts based, Dick Dale, and he always said about the um, the Indians how they they have to be able to tongue their drums before they can actually touch a drum. He, he has, he'd always be like, take tikka I can take know, He did this thing with his tongue. I'm like, Oh, that's gross. Just stop. <laughs> but it's true. Like I, I saw this guy online the other day on YouTube and it's this Indian guy just doing all these crazy tabla rhythms, but with his, with his mouth, you know, it's like, wow, really? that's insane. I'm so, going to have to Google that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I did that for a few years. And then in the meantime, I started to kind of started, I thought I was starting a band, but, is with this this female artist and did all the demos and did all the uh showcases and she ended up getting signed and the band got a 500 hundred dollar a week salary you know it's mm-hmm. one of those things like oh i thought we were a band okay right but um we went out and touring for a long time and and through that i uh opened up for this girl named brandy carlisle mm-hmm. for a summer and who now recently just won a bunch of Grammys? And now this is ten years later. Has a big name, but for a long time everybody's like, "Oh, you played for the girl from the uh, the <laughs> the Go Go's, Belinda Carlisle." I'm like, "No, no, no Brandy Carlisle. She's yeah. this really great singer songwriter." I swear. And like, so I think Brandy winning a, a a few Grammys last week really my resume just got a little bit better. <laughs> I played for, I, I ended up playing for her for a couple of years, and it was just great. You know, going out and touring, opening for Cheryl Crow through her. I, through that, I met bass player john button at the time who now mm-hmm. is the bass player in the who you nice. know it's like who was uh who, was jim playing with cheryl at the time uh jeremy stacy was oh okay okay he, he was great yeah um hey uh what a great player um peter stroud mm-hmm. her longtime guitar player who you know now we're buddies through that you know it's just a lot of those just you know just you know putting your you know your head your head down and going to work every day and just yeah. having a good time along the way and it's like i really think that you know, making friends and networking on the road and not ne- networking sounds professional, but like just being around and playing and just having a good time. That's, that's where you meet all the people that hopefully you get to play with later on in life. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: how so, important do you think your move to LA was crucial? I mean, yeah. I, I, nothing, I, you know, I, I'm not a what if kind of guy, but you know, it was years of getting to know people. And through that, you know, I'm playing with all these other artists and doing a bunch of records that never got released or, you know, never got picked up but you know, you do a session with a keyboard player that later on you get called back to do another session with, or, or he knows the guy that's the MD for some band that's going to go on tour kind of thing. You know, it's, I I think I would have probably, I don't know. There, there is no what if, but I think it was crucial, um, just to get out there and just to play. And mm-hmm. you know, the the first few people I met were Brendan Buckley, who Shakira's drummer yeah, for yeah. a long time. And you know, guys like that that are still out there, and he just called me. You know, we talked right before he did. um Seth Myers. You know, it's like right, right. You know, this we're talking 15 years later. He's doing. You know, we're we're still talking and being friends, and I just ran into him. Nam. Mm-hmm. Was, so I think without that, I you know, I wouldn't have known any of these people whether I played with them or not. It's just kind of being around and going to get coffee with all the people that you know when you're not working. Yeah you know the coffee scene in LA is the big that's what musicians do if you're not practicing or playing you're getting coffee (laughs) you're talking and talking about you're getting coffee and talking about practicing and playing
0: So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view. You can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 d drumsystem.com, or just Google Sonar SQ2. You'll find it. Check it out. The Sonar Drum Configurator. I've always preached that you don't necessarily need, you don't need to live in LA or New York or Nashville or Miami anymore to like, if you want to, like, I feel like if you want to do something that is online or you want to do something remote or whatever it is, but I still 1000% believe if you want to be in the thick of things and you want to tour and you want to be hanging around with people who are doing this every day, you got to be in LA or New York or, you know, or Nashville yeah. or my, like, it's yeah. just, there's no substitute for it. And I get a lot of emails and people are like, what should I do? And I'm like, where do you live? And they're like, I live in Sheboygan.
1: And I'm like, you got to move. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry. If like, you got to move. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Um. I mean, I, I lived in Nashville. I, I left L.A. in 2004. No, I'm sorry, 2010, mm-hmm. and moved to Nashville for one year. But in the meantime, I met my now wife, and she's from Illinois, where I live currently. And uh, I got the Cheap Trick gig in the meantime, too. And like, So I wasn't really in Nashville a ton, because I was either on the road to the Cheap Trick or I was going back to, to Illinois to go see her. And uh. So... At at the end of the day, I I said, "Hey, do you want to move to Nashville, or should I come home?" You know, cause she's from where I'm where I'm from, and did she's you, like, "Well, did you just randomly meet her, and she happens to be from there?" Or you, yeah, already I used go- when I when I lived in L.A., I would come home for like ten days at a time, about three times a year, just to get my Midwestern on. You know, because like okay. it, oh, so you
0: met it, her there? I'm thinking you like you're like on the road and you meet her in like no, Miami, no, and came, she's like, "Oh, I you know, live in I
1: came, you know." Yeah, I came back home and uh, went out with some friends and. One of my friends, wife was with him, and she called. Her. It was it was it was like six guys, and then this guy's wife, and she called her friend and said, "Hey, we come help." I'm nice. just me and like six dudes, and in walked my wife. We've been together since then, since that night, basically.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I looked at her and it's like, well, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and now we're married, to two kids, and you know, for me, um, next week or two weeks from now, it's my ninth anniversary of cheap trick. So I've you know, I've been in a steady gig. I live an hour from O'Hare airport, Mm -hmm. so I can be anywhere in the world on a direct flight. Um, And just the cost of living here, I've got more space than I need for about a half of what I'd be paying for an apartment in Los Angeles. Right. You know, it's like I've got a big house, not a big house, but I've got got a yard and a garage and, you know, some storage area. So it's like for me currently, it's been the best thing financially to stay here Mm -hmm. and, you know because we all we do is fly day, like we'd fly to our gigs we fly, not necessarily every gig but like we'll fly out right you know, our, our singer robin lives in florida bass player lives in nashville rick and i live in rockford illinois you know the crew is, is all over the place so everybody just flies in meets up and then travels from there so there isn't like hey everybody has to live in los angeles so we can all get on the same bus together or nashville so we can all get in the bus so i mean we'll see when cheap tricks done hopefully it's not for a while but Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll have to make the move, you know. Right. But maybe I'll hopefully I can get the phone call for another great band, another great band that just tours. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. or you know, fly to L.A. or wherever they live for a week to rehearse and then go on tour or whatever it would be. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping my proximity to O'Hare just is enough for me to not.
0: Well, speaking, to,
1: I mean, speaking to that, it's interesting,
0: you know. Sure. If you want to move to LA and you're here and then you get established, then you can live anywhere you want. Yeah. I mean, I, you I, know, if I, it works for, you, you know, if it, if it ends up yeah. working out, but like you can't I mean, just stay in Jeremy it.
1: Stacy, he lives in, he lives in London still, but he plays for Cheryl Crow over here, plays mm-hmm. for whoever over here. And, you know, don't misunderstand me. I'm not comparing myself to Steve Gadd, but Steve Gadd lived in Phoenix for the longest time. Yeah. You know, it's like
0: there's live in LA.
1: Yeah. Matt Chamberlain lived in Seattle. Like he would fly down to LA or to Nashville. It's like, you mm-hmm. don't have to live if you're established or if you have, I mean, that, it, it's rare for those, I mean, they're studio guys, those guys, and, and, you know, Cad does a lot of live stuff too, but, you know, they're, they are the cream of the crop. So, I mean, right. you know, anybody would fly them first class anywhere they want to go. It's not an issue that they have to be somewhere, but,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I've been very lucky to, to, um, have the career that I've had with Cheap Trick, you know, going on a decade. So, yeah.
0: What's the, I, what's that like getting that call? Were you like, were you ever like, dad, dad, <laughs> dad, like,
1: can you get me in this band? No, God, no, please, I, I never, ever in a million, I had filled in for Bunny a bunch. Um, in mm-hmm. 2001, he had back surgery, so I did um, probably, I don't, know, I, my, I don't know exactly, but probably like six weeks in, in the summertime, where he, his back, his like sciatic nerve, or however you pronounce that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, he had to get it like worked on. So we were on, my brother and I, we were opening for Cheap Trick for the whole summer, and one night Bunny was like, hey. Can you do the encore night? I'd never, I'd never played with Cheap Trick. I'd never even thought about it, and it was like, uh, sure, okay, you know, I was confident in my playing at the time, and mm-hmm. I, 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 watched them every night, and I grew up around it. So about a, about five shows that, and he goes, "Cool, I'm flying home tomorrow. Like, you've got the rest of the tour." Like, wait, what? <laughs> so that was my first initiation to Cheap Trick, um, pretty much, and it's been the same way ever since. But um, so it was kind of like Bunny gave you the 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 gig. The, yeah, yeah, I mean. Th- back then, um, right. And then for a few years, he um, if he, if, you know, a couple times he, he got ill and couldn't he couldn't travel. So like they called me like literally two in the morning. Can you be on a 7 a.m. flight to Boise? Like we're on tour with Aerosmith. We need you to fill in a few dates till Bunny till he can get back wow okay you know and i'm working at u.s bank i was a teller for a year (laughs) just to save money honestly to save money to move to la because i didn't want to get out there and be broke so you're like hey guys uh i gotta go do this thing with Aerosmith, but i'll be back oh yeah no i didn't tell (laughs) i I called in sick and then like literally went flew and then partied with the crew all night and then took like the first flight home and went right to work and i walked in and my manager was like dude what are you doing get out of here he's like you're totally green like <laughs> I was just hung, I was just super hung over <laughs> but so he you know they bought the whole me being sick thing <laughs> hook line and sinker nice but um, uh, so fast forward many years this you know I did my whole LA stint and mm-hmm. then I was playing for this guy called Corey Chisel um, and he wasn't signed I think he was he was signed he had an album out but anyways we were just we were getting ready to go do a, a European like 10 day run and I was at dinner with my girlfriend who's now my wife and my dad and mom and i got a phone call from cheap tricks management my dad's like yeah you should probably take that i was like what he's like yeah just go answer it and so i like this is not not a joke at all i went and i answered and it was managers asking if i could be in austin texas in two days to uh do austin city limits i was like i gotta go to germany in three days he's like can you find her call me back let me know what you think we gotta know right away you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i called my friend brad pemberton who great drummer mm-hmm. and um i said what do i do he goes it's cheap trick if it's one gig it's worth quitting your, your current quitting your current gig i was like are you sure he goes just do it it's like it's cheap trick you got to do it it's, your, it's family mm-hmm. and it's cheap trick you know i was like all right so i called back and i called my my friend darren and said hey he'd also played for this guy a bunch so i was like hey can you go to can you go to europe for 10 days or it's like yeah sure so i i ended up paying the change fee on the ticket to change you know my name to his and no rehearsals whatsoever i went my first official gig. I didn't know it would be my official first gig as the drummer in Cheap Trick, but, you know, um, there was a, there was a, a separation. Now, Bunny is no longer with the band. Right, right, basically. right. Basically. Yeah. I didn't know at the time. I thought, you know, they're, they're having a fight or whatever. I'm not going to be their uh, actual drummer for long, you know? But anyways, I went to Austin and my first show was on film, you know, dozen cameras in my face. Mm-hmm. Austin City Limits, first, uh, first episode of the 36th season, I think it was. And... It's nuts. Like, literally, we did a sound check and this said anything you want to run through. Like, we did a 95-minute set, no rehearsals, just... I mean, I've heard the music my entire life, and, but I never thought I would be the drummer. It wasn't something I was ever... I didn't think that the band wouldn't always just be the four original guys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't anything I had, like, been practicing down in the basement, all the songs for years, just waiting for my shot. It was like, no, I had my own thing going, playing for other artists, and, Right. you know, it's nine years later, it's, I mean, three albums, and... Thousands of shows probably, you know, it's, it's nuts. like, yeah, it was, it was kind of silly to, <laughs> to say yes to something like that. It the, wasn't just a, it wasn't a club gig. It was Austin city limits. And then right. the next night we, we played South by Southwest for 25,000 people at, uh, auditorium Shores. It's like this big outdoor field that they have mm-hmm. during South by Southwest. So it was like a jump into the fire. Are you ready to go? And it's like, I'm, I guess so. I have guess. Any choice.
0: <laughs> the interesting so, thing is that you called your buddy instead of going back to the dinner table and being like, dad, what should I do?
1: Right. Well, he obviously, his main thing, I call him Rick and I've called him Rick since day one of being playing for the band. You know, it's like, I don't want it to look like a nepotism thing. I don't want it to look like, Hey, my dad needs you over there. It's like, I've avoided that 100% and I still do. And it's just, it's better to keep it professional. You know what so I mean? So you didn't I'm, grow up calling him Rick. You just started calling him no, Rick no, when you joined No, no, no. i strictly from when I worked for the band. It's just, you know, I don't want to go up to a tech and be like, Hey, my dad needs you to do this. That sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, little kid guy. And, you know, I'd, I'd already been fairly established as a professional drummer. <laughs> like, I wanted to keep it that way. Yeah. So, um.
0: Do you feel like there's. there's, Do you get any of that, like, from the crew or anyone who works in the band that, like, oh, no.
1: he's just Rick's kid? No, I don't no. think so. I mean, I'm, I'm 39 years old. I'm, I'm an right. old man already. Well, <laughs> you know? I, I, and I don't mean. I don't Maybe, mean, yeah, I don't mean I, it, I, like,
0: age wise, but just, like, like you had mentioned, the nepotism thing
1: or. Yeah, you know, I don't do think you, so. I hope not. I mean, because. I tried my hardest to, to be, I treat it as if it was an artist of their level from that. I didn't grow up with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't shoot my mouth off. I know they're the bosses. I know that I am happy and lucky to have the job playing for them. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it just so happens. My dad's in the band. That's right. the way I look at it. You know, right. Did I get the gig because he's my dad? It didn't hurt. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and, and, yeah. and do I also know every song that they've ever recorded or played? And we, that was one of the things that, when I first started with them, I was like, hey, can we play this song? Like, we haven't played this song in 15 years. Like, cool, mm-hmm. let's do it tomorrow. Let's do it tonight. You know, and they were all like, all right, cool. No problem, you know? Cool. So a lot of the fans were really, at first, probably skeptical. But mm-hmm. then at, after a while, they're probably like, wow, we've we never heard half this stuff live. This is so cool. Yeah. You know? So yeah, you know, I, I think, you know,
0: you mentioned that, of course, it didn't hurt that your dad's in the band. But also, like,
1: who better qualified? to do the job than you yeah i mean bunny bunny has a very very specific specific, uh, style very Mm -hmm. swing swinging and he's got this left hand he rides on the left hand a bunch ghost notes you know and you know a lot of guys don't do that so it's like i think i was able to kind of step in and do my best of kind of mimicking that right away you know what i mean I don't think that the st- the sound of the band didn't change drastically because they got a new guy in the band. Right. I mean, it, it, it wasn't the same by any means, but it wasn't like, Whoa, that guy, you know, yeah, that guy's guy guy a punk, up? he's a, he's a punk rock drummer. He's way on top of the beat. And that's not how the band sounds. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. It makes sense. You know, you know, I'd seen them enough times and kind of grown up around it. And so yeah. I think whether you like that, I'm his kid or not, it's, it was probably the right guy for the job. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? hmm
0: What's so. what's the dynamic like with you and your father, like working together? Cause I grew, I worked with my dad for twenty some years, uh, and he was the boss, and mm-hmm. you know, and and like I moved up through the ranks, you know, and and it wasn't a nepotism thing because he was harder on me than he was on you know, or harder on me and my my brother and my sister than he was on any employee. Yeah, uh, but but it's sort of like. It, it's a. It was always a weird dynamic for us because, like, he was my boss and he was yeah. my dad, so he could like <laughs> he could scream at me and be like, you know, say whatever he wants because I'm like, fuck, he's my dad too, so like, yeah, legally he's allowed to yell
1: at me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think it's, I you know, I, being a touring musician, you get in your routines, especially for if you're in a if you're in a band not necessarily being like a hired gun you know mm-hmm. where it's like you're kind of always maybe walking on eggshells egg but like if you're in a band you kind of have your routines and everybody you get to know each individual person and the way they what their cycles are you know like who's grumpy in the morning who's grumpy at night or whatever you know who gets tired so i think i've always to kind of let him have his space and he me same you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know we don't like share a room we, we don't like go out right. to dinner every single night or anything like that I, 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 it's strictly a professional thing it's, it's i think it's great for him i think it's you know how dads are like they they'll they'll compliment you to everybody else tell you mm-hmm. how great you are oh my son my son but like to your, to me he would never be like you're great son you know i get it's that. one of those yeah. things you know what i mean so i think it's like i hear through other people how proud he is and how you know, how happy he is to play with me and i think it's the same way with me to him it's like he wasn't around a ton when i was a kid so like it's kind of like making up for lost time, and I get to do what we both love to do together. So it's it's been a really special thing. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. But at the same – like I said, but you know, early on, maybe I got a little comfortable, and I gave my opinion on a certain thing or whatever, and it was like, oh, I forgot. Like, just because I've known these guys my whole life, <laughs> and we're playing together doesn't mean that they aren't still my bosses. Like, and quickly I learned, like, don't forget this isn't – you know, pretend like this is Cheryl Crow. Pretend like this is – Pearl Jam or whoever hired you to whatever artist you wish you could play for. Right. Like, don't forget that this is a great gig and don't forget that like you could be fired tomorrow ju- just cause you know, don't, don't forget your place. Right. So I, I, I try to keep that in mind. Cause you know, it's isn't, this isn't my last gig. I hope, you know, mm-hmm. I hope from this parlays in something bigger or whatever, you know, So like, I'm, I'm still out there auditioning every night and I'm still out there, you know, I'm not ever phoning it in. Cause I, one, I wouldn't, I never would, but two, it's like, this is my gig to lose and this is mm-hmm. my reputation and all that stuff. So I think I treat it as if it's, you know, any other job. Yeah. And I, tr- I treat my dad, Rick as uh, any other boss or I try to give him the respect that I would give Robin or Tom, the, the right. other guys in the band, you know, right. They're not my dad's, but I, I don't treat him any different than I would treat them, or respectfully wise, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I respect that you do that. And not only that, I, it, I think everyone in your position would say that, uh but i believe that you actually do that i would i would imagine that a lot of people would say oh i want to you know i want to be professional i want to this is my reputation online i want to go out and do my own thing you know i want to make sure that i'm 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 not there's no nepotism here and all that kind of stuff but I believe you when you say it, you know, I, think I appreciate that, that. I think a yeah. lot of people would say that, but actually be like, eh, you know, they're not really going to fire me. Uh, yeah. but I don't see that. In, especially you've proven that over the years of, of sort of not mentioning who your father is when you're trying to get gigs and, and all of these other things. So I, I completely, uh, I appreciate that. I respect that because I know sort of the situation that you're in dealing with like family and working with them and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's, it, certain things are easier because it's family and certain things are way harder because it's yeah. family. It's like, you know, it's yep. the way it is. So for sure. So what are your plans? Uh, what are your plans for 2019? What's touring look like? Uh, hopefully consistently. Like, we, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a year with cheap trick with less than a hundred shows, less than hundred, 115 shows. Um, I think this year we're doing more of like the, it's, it sounds silly, but like the state fair casino circuit mm-hmm. like the last few years, we've been doing these package tours. Like, Cheap Trick, Foreigner, and Jason Bonham, or Cheap Trick and Joan Jett, mm-hmm. or Cheap Trick and Heart, and you know you do these the sheds, these you know twenty thousand seaters, but it's like the diehard fans they they kind of don't they don't go to those shows because maybe they don't like the other band or we only play for sixty minutes on these shows where we we play for ninety to a hundred on our own shows, you know it's like mm-hmm. so I think we're gonna be it's more of a headlining year for us I think um, we, we recorded our fourth album with me in the band it's it's done we're just kind of waiting to see how we can put it out. So we have an album on the shelf. that's ready to go. And, uh, I don't know. I know we're going to the UK for a little bit. We went last year. We went to Japan and Australia and the UK. And I hope nice. we do that again this year. This, yeah, you know, it's one of those things we do mostly the States and Canada, but the occasional, you know, two weeks abroad. Mm-hmm. And I love that stuff. That's, it's just different. You know, and it's, it's, you know, you can only play Omaha so many times. Before you go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> can we, can we play Oslo instead? Yeah. Can we yeah. go to Norway? Come on. There's something special but, yeah. about touring in uh, in Europe and Asia. And all yeah, that. well, and for 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 Cheap Trick, Japan is such a. That's where they really broke. So, anytime oh, really? we go there, oh yeah, live at Budokan. That was that that's was their main. They were yeah. They they had like three or four number one hits in Japan before they were even anything over here. I never that's, knew that. Yeah, yeah, they had three albums out. They had, um, yeah, they and they had just recorded Dream Police, their fourth studio album, mm-hmm. when live at Budokan became huge it was it was strictly a japanese release but it like instantly Uh, became this collectible like people from the states were like bootlegging it or whatever you call it getting shipped across this ocean right to um it was like a it was like a rarity and all of a sudden it was selling so many copies overseas that the label said hey why don't we put this out and they did and it became massive you know so it's
0: wow i never knew that yeah
1: it it wasn't supposed to be it was supposed to be just for the japanese fans and it turned out like the live version of I Want You to Want Me was so much better than the album version that, like, it took off. And that was the main version people know to this day, you mm-hmm. know? And so, yeah, Japan really... Because Cheap Trick had opened up for Queen and for Kiss um, in 76 or 77, I think. And right. the Jap- The Japanese press came over and, like, did reviews of the show. And all of them had always mentioned, like, but the opening act was incredible. Like, you got to check these guys out. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Sure. I don't know what... The- but, so the Japanese... People had researched and, and sought out Cheap Trick, whereas, like, they were still playing clubs in Iowa, <laughs> basically. You know, they were opening for, for these big bands, but they weren't big by any means.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And so they shelled Dream Police for a year because because Budokan was doing so well they didn't want to, like, release a, a studio album until Budokan has run its course. Wow. So, yeah. It's such an amazing albums.
0: concept now. Like, yeah. you can't release an album in Japan.
1: Right, I know. You
0: know it just goes everywhere. It's like you can't just be like no, 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 it's only for a country. They're,
1: like yeah, just, you just can't do that anymore. Yeah, it was just kind of like a thank you to the Japanese fans for like supporting them and it just it spread like wildfire and that that is still to this day probably their their most famous thing, Live secret Live insane. at Budokan, you know.
0: That's insane. I did I mean, I, obviously I know I know the album. I just never knew that it was, sp- as it was supposed to be a strictly uh, Japanese release. And man, it's, and it it, it, now saying it, it sort of makes sense because the Japanese fans are so amazing, like just Mm -hmm. gracious and, you know, are, are their fans, you know, but like in a different way, I think that there's more, I feel like there's more listening. There's more appreciation. Uh, It's just an interesting, you know, it's an interesting uh, uh, difference in in Japan for sure. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting story, though. I never knew that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I love going over there.
0: Nice. So where can people find out
1: more about you and follow along with what, all the stuff that you have going on? Uh, well, um, I got the Cheap Trick Dax on Instagram. We all have our Cheap Trick Rick, Cheap Trick Tom, Cheap Trick Dax. Robin doesn't have one, but, you know, I, I, I used to be like Dax on drums on there. But, you know, I'm kind of associated pretty heavily with Cheap Trick right now. So mm-hmm. Cheap Trick Dax on Instagram. And then I have DaxNielsen.com. Uh, I got my own website and you got a little travel blog, right? I try to keep up with it where I, you know, I talk about the food I eat in certain areas or places I go to, you know, life on the road. Nice. I do that kind of stuff with tour dates and there's a way you can I do a lot of studio sessions here on my home studio that just last week I did 14 songs for a guy from LA. She shipped me out a finished album with programmed drums and just wanted me to replace the the, you know, so I just recorded drums and sent them back to him Dropbox, you know. So I do that kind of stuff a lot here. Perfect. Which is great. Yeah, it's such a different world. You know, you don't have to ever meet these people you, you're playing with or recording an album with. It's like, hey, here's the album. Put your mm-hmm. stuff on it and send it back, and we'll give you some notes or whatever. And like, okay, you don't great. have to be in L.A. And then they PayPal you, and here you go.
2: Yeah.
1: It's perfect. <laughs> it's pretty great. It is perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. That's that's me in a nutshell. Cool, man.
0: Well, Dax, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat. I know you're you're busy. You're traveling a lot. You got two kids at home, and time at home is very precious. So, I appreciate you giving me an hour of your time. Uh, oh man.
1: And really, Great. that's worked out finally. Yeah, for <laughs> we, sure. We've kind of sure. gone. Hey, I got to cancel today. Hey, I got to let's do tomorrow. Okay, I got to cancel tomorrow too. I you talk know?
0: about this all the time on here, but like it happens so it it happens. It's very very uh, rare that it, that it comes together quickly. Yeah. It's usually like six months. Sometimes it's a year. Some people, it's been three years. I think we've been we're about a year. I think. Oh yeah, we're about a year in. So, <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Uh, so
1: cool, anytime let's do it again
0: we should we should for sure i'm inter- i'm gonna check out your uh, your travel blog too i love i love reading cool different, cool different uh travel blogs
1: so i'll definitely check i love that out. tacos so i've been trying not to do just taco places i'm trying to branch <laughs> out a bit <laughs> well good, good good talking to you my friend
0: yeah likewise and uh safe travels out there on the road and i will talk to you soon
1: cool come on to a show soon
0: i will i will for sure all right take care There you have it. That was Dax. You can find all the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 471. And if you want to sign up for the email list, remember, go to drummersresource.com and sign up there. You'll get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. You'll get that for free. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I will be talking to you soon. Peace.